Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, we made it. Um, <laughs> it was a long year. There was a lot of ups and downs. But we have finished the 2018-2019 AMTA season. Uh, we did several months with uh, MTS versus Danny Kozak. And a very, very quick three weeks with, with Empower Milk versus Jerry Anderson. And uh, Nationals is done. We've crowned uh, Yale as our uh, 2019 national champion uh, in a great final round over Rhodes. And I'm already excited for it to be August 15th. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, even just a little teaser we got, kidnapping and murder. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to give you some tragic news. The search for young Parker Page has ended as we feared it might. The child was found deceased early this morning. A warrant has been issued for the arrest of Jordan Ryder on suspicion of kidnapping and murder. I'm jealous of everyone that's going to get to play with it next year, and I'm definitely anxious to just get to read it and see what the criminal case committee's cooked up for us. I think that uh, I think that civil cases are fun in a lot of ways. I think that uh, I, I really enjoyed the two cases we had this year. I think they did a great job writing them, but come on, like it's murder, it's kidnapping, like that's exciting. So it's definitely uh, kind of that that waypoint where we can all take a breath hopefully collect ourselves, maybe remember that we have other obligations in our schools uh, or our jobs or whatever else we have going on. Um, but yeah, it's time to start getting excited and hopefully start thinking about next year. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely agree on the, you know, thinking about that case. And, and I think that uh, um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. You know, uh, Alex Bluban knows how to, how to lead the charge on writing a great criminal case. Uh, and I am certainly looking forward to getting my hands on it. In the meantime, though, we, we had a very interesting experience with Empower Milk versus Jerry Anderson. I think it was pretty pretty unique for even the civil cases that AMTA did. Um, we did see, based on the statistics that people were posting on perjuries afterwards, uh, I think it was about a 14% plaintiff bias, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly, um, which is, I think, not great. Uh, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse, as I've mentioned before with some of the law school packets I did. But that's definitely, I think it should give at least a little bit of pause, right? That, that I look, it's clear that the Nationals case, that having a new case for Nationals is not going away anytime soon, uh, if it's going away ever at all. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, I don't know if there is, but you just wonder if there's a way to try and do a a test run to see if if the nationals case is is balanced i I don't think it's probably impossible right you just have to keep learning how to write a balanced case on short notice but it's definitely something where you're like at nationals where one two three points can decide who's competing in the final round uh the plaintiff bias you know it it's not the end of the world but i think suboptimal uh is a fair way to put it yeah definitely i mean i think that 
it's difficult, as you said. You know, we don't really have the the guinea pigs in terms of the invitationals to get a sense of where the bias lies. And exactly to your point, you know, so much is riding on so little that that bias can play a large role in this. I definitely think that it's really tough because we always talk about like how difficult it is to have a plaintiff biased case. Um, it's just in many ways, it's kind of easy in mock trial to defend because you have so much flexibility. You don't always have the same burden. And and that makes it kind of, in a, as I said, in a lot of ways easier. I think especially with criminal cases, it's just, it's hard to make a plaintiff biased case in some cases. Um, so in, in that way, like that was impressive that they made it so plaintiff biased, but definitely to your point, you know, it made it tough. I'll say this. I didn't love the fact that there were only two side constrained witnesses for the defense. I don't know if that played a role, but definitely when you're talking about the, how little preparation there was and considering the fact that you have this whole weirdness with the way that we're changing up the call order, I don't know that that's what contributed to the side imbalance, but I definitely think that that would have would have made things a little easier on the defense to kind of if you're one of those teams that is worried about the amount of time you have to prepare and doesn't want to prepare too many witness alternatives. If you want to just say, "Hey, we're going with the three side constrained witnesses. We're going to do the best with what we've got and just you know move forward with that," I think that that makes it a little bit easier. And I think that you know forcing teams to prepare you know one, two, maybe even three alternatives. That, that's just really hard on a lot of teams. I think with the, the the shortened time to actually prepare for it, I think that that is definitely a, a obstacle in preparing for the Nationals case and one that you, we didn't see last year where the witnesses were all side constrained. And I think that when you only have two side constrained, it can definitely be difficult. The, the other thing that I would say, though, about this case in particular was again, and I didn't read it as thoroughly as I wish. I did go and watch a few of the rounds, and and they were fantastic from what I got to watch. I think that the defense kind of, in, in my opinion, had an issue of being kind of just boring defenses for the most part. And of course, there were some exceptions. But <laughs> what what could you possibly refer be referring to, Drew? I you know we'll we'll discuss at some point. Hypothetically, sure. right, right. But I think that the in some ways like. We're talking about this milk company and this post that someone made and how it was, uh, you know, slanderous against our libel. But I mean, come on, like it's just it, there's not. I think that sometimes defenses can really they, they want to be flashy. They want to really get to go up there and just be a hammer, and be like, you know, I can't believe they would dare to do this. Like that's what I think a lot of the defensive rhetoric that can score really well. And when it's kind of a more dull-ish case, I think that that in some ways hurts the defense a lot because the plaintiff can say, hey, we're showing you the facts. This is what happened and be a little more matter of fact. And the defense doesn't get the whole emotional plea. They don't get to say you're dealing with someone's life here. Consider the repercussions for what you're doing. Um, and I, I think that, that that makes it hard to defend in some ways. But, you know, in general, definitely a fun case. Yeah, it was a really interesting experience prepping this case. I. You know, in all candor, when I first dug into it, I wasn't thrilled. Um, and it wasn't, I, I actually, I think it ended up being a, a pretty uh, well-executed case. I, the subject matter initially, you know, didn't jump out to me. And um, there were a couple things about it. Uh, you know, I think some of your points about the defense probably do have something to do with uh, what happened. I also have seen some people theorizing that the 
the the story that the defendant gave for why they took the actions they did just doesn't really hold up to even the lightest amount of scrutiny and the way the case was written it was challenging to uh have the defendant testify and not get into that at the very least on cross which which many teams got into with quite uh vigor but i do think that the case itself ended up turning out pretty well. We had what I thought were four strong trials against great opponents. There were creative witness choices. Uh, I did like, you know, when we competed two years ago and it was all side constrained witnesses, I did like having swing witnesses. I think that it forces you to be creative uh, and it forces you to be ready for a lot of things. I think that because the defense only had two, it did make uh, that aspect a bit more challenging for them. And I think particularly because defense had a trial with the whole uh, rounds one and two was PD call order and rounds three and four was DP. Those that first rounds one or two, you had a trial where you had to have a minimum of two swing witnesses prepared. If you were the defense, because in theory you, you wouldn't get your primary and on the plaintiff, like you said, if you really wanted to, you could just prep all of the side constraints. I don't think, a lot of teams did that, but but it is something you could do. Um, and on the defense, you had to have, uh, and 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 there wasn't a ton of overlap between the four swing witnesses. So it wasn't like you could have one swing witness that just sort of naturally replaced the other one. Your theory kind of had to adapt a little bit more, maybe than than usual. So all in all, I think that you know it was a successful case. I think that the you know it allowed the best teams to rise to the top. Uh, but I will be very interested to see how future nationals case committees approach trying to make sure that the side balance comes a little bit more to where we want it to be. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I hope that they, I think that they, they had one round of edits and I think that, you know, it's, it's, you gotta be careful with that because you don't want to make too many changes. You don't want to totally ruin anyone's case theory uh, right before they, they go and, and try it. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough. It's something that the, the one thing I would say is that I, I would hope that they are hopefully working on it at a really early date and getting a lot of feedback from people, getting a lot of feedback from other members of of the the case committees. Um, and the last thing that I, I will say, I I think that I really agree with your point, Ben. I think that swing witnesses are fun. I think that it's good to kind of have the option. So if teams want to just call side constraint, they can. If they want to be creative. If they want to go for one of these kind of weird swing witnesses, they can. I, I also, I miss depositions. I think that, you know, depositions are another huge source of of creativity of you know it, it just is a fun way to to give a little bit more leeway to the defense and i think that it, it going back to that plaintiff bias i think that when you have a an affidavit defendant to your point that that cross becomes so strong because they're the defendant like they they don't really get to defend themselves as well as i'm sure any other team could think of um if you're really thinking of your words and choosing them more carefully like you get to when you have a deposition um so definitely i I think that i look forward to another year of of having a new case at nationals. It's definitely fun. I think that even just case changes get exciting. We get a little bit bored. We have the exact same case every single round. I think that it's good because we see the teams that are able to, to adapt and, and, you know, quickly learn a new case. They get to shine at nationals. I think that that's something that we want to be emphasizing. And that's, that's really great to see. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, two uh, quick logistics things before we jump into the Temple Law Division. Uh, first is um, 
We did uh, record an Orcs Week 2 analysis a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I made a valiant effort to try to get it edited and posted before Nationals and just did not have enough physical hours in the day to finish it uh, while also preparing my own team to travel and then you know occasionally showing up at work. Uh, so... We are going to tack that episode on to the end of this one. There's going to be a, we'll end the episode and then there'll be some music and then, you know, our usual interlude. And then we're just going to put that episode on the end. If you're really into outdated analysis, uh, you know, we went through all of the week two arcs and talked about the teams getting to nationals. So if you'd like to listen to that, that's why this episode is as long as it is and, and why it has the content that it does. And then the other thing is uh, we are holding off for the most part on discussing the specifics of the final round. I know there's been a lot of discussion around the final round. We are well aware of that fact as well. We are hoping at some point in the future to do an episode more specifically about the final round, possibly with people who were involved in the final round talking to us. There's still a lot of things that have to happen before any of that becomes a possibility. And so we think for for that reason, we're going to kind of stay away from it. Well, I think I'm sure we'll mention it here and there, but uh, for the most part, I don't think we're going to dive into it with a tremendous amount of specificity on this episode. And Ben, you know, I would I'd be more upset about the editing thing if you guys had done worse. So I'll give you this one. I think I slept about a total of four hours in those two weeks. So it was it was not for lack of trying. <laughs> I think people understand how tough it is to prep that case on such short notice. And clearly it was time well spent though. That's fair. Um, and now I'm, you know, reacquainting myself with feeling like I'm not a zombie every day. Um, so the Temple Law Division, uh, the Temple Law Division, just like both divisions at Nationals, had 24 teams. Uh, and they, you know, at Nationals, for those of you guys who haven't been, you, the top 10 teams are given team awards, and they also give a certain number of honorable mentions. So going down the list, in first place, you had Rhodes College with 13 and a half wins. Second was the University of Virginia with 11 and a half. Third was the University of Chicago with 11 wins and a CS of 35 and a half. Fourth was Duke University with 11 wins and a CS of 30. Fifth was Ohio State University A, if I recall correctly, with 10 and a half wins. Then you had Emory University A in sixth with 10 wins. Boston University in seventh with nine and a half. Eighth place was Wesleyan A with nine wins and a 35 and a half CS. Ninth place was Northwestern with nine wins and a CS of 34. And 10th place was Northwood with eight wins and a CS of 39. You also had five honorable mentions, each with eight wins. Georgia Tech, Tufts, UCLA-B, UNC Chapel Hill, and the University of California, San Diego. So obviously a lot to unpack here. You had just a really, really phenomenal set of teams. And I think clearly... Uh, whenever you have a situation where the top two teams in the division are the teams that played each other in round four in essentially a play-in round, you, that probably means, in this case, that Rhodes and Virginia were the best two teams in this division. And that round, I've heard from many people in that round, was pretty spectacular. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, look, this is nationals at this point. These are all spectacular teams. And uh, the reality is that the the top 10 that got it are all, I mean, really, really exceptional teams. I think that when I look at that top five, um, uh, those were, in my mind, I think five of the top teams. That I, re- I was not tremendously surprised about that. Look, I, I, I'll i say this. I think that Duke, you know, coming off of a year of not making it, 
to nationals the year before had a real redemption year. I mean, getting fourth, uh, that's that's a really great showing for them. To my understanding, it's the, the second best they've done as a program aside from a few years back when they made the final round. But that's a really great showing for them. And I look, I played them earlier in the year. They were really, really good. They were not messing around. And that was definitely great to see. Mm-hmm. I was also, I was very impressed um, by some of the teams in that that second five Um you know, Emery, Emery's been just consistently really good for a while now. I mean, they've been making it to nationals. They made got two teams through this year. And then, I mean, that's a really strong showing for them. They've been right there in this, like right on the cusp pack of honorable mentions or, you know, the, the bottom half of the, the teams to make it. And, and they kind of push through to sixth right now. That's really great to see from them. Um, Boston University, same story as Duke. This is a team that didn't make nationals last year and then came roaring back, got an amazing seventh place finish. They should be really, really pleased with that. Um, Wesleyan, another one missed out last year and then made it here and got eighth. I mean, we're noticing kind of a trend of this redemption division, which is awesome for so many of these teams. And it's definitely great to see so many of them showing that they deserve to be there and, and to have such a strong showing is awesome. Uh, I will say that the surprises here for me um, Georgia Tech, I mean, they are, I think, either third or f- I think fourth in the country. I mean, they're really, really good. And to only have eight wins, I mean, look, they, they got an honorable mention. They had an extraordinarily high CS. They played really good teams. But I think that, you know, it says a lot about their program that we've kind of come to expect them to be, you know, one of those teams that's placing in the top 10. And to see them as an honorable mention was definitely a bit of a surprise. Um, but I mean, definitely they they still had a, a very strong year, and to have had realistically two teams qualify for nationals, even if they didn't actually get their A team there. I mean, two teams with six wins at, at Orcs is is pretty good, um, about as much as most can ask for. And they should definitely be be pleased with how it went. It's sad to see some of those top competitors from Tech uh, graduating. Uh, the last thing I'll touch on is is uh, that last round with Rhodes in Virginia. You mentioned it, Ben. Man, I mean, I I kind of went the other way and I watched your round with Yale, but a piece of me wishes that I'd gone and watched that UVA Rhodes round. Like you said, I've heard great things about it. I mean, that is, uh, they're, they're so close by, but I, I don't think that I've, I saw any other results of them playing each other this year. I could be wrong about that, but man, like that, that is just two heavyweights going at it and I would have loved to see it and as we can see by the results it was a really close round decided by such small margins I mean yeah couple, I mean UVA if, if they take that one ballot that was uh you know they dropped it by one if they take that ballot all of a sudden you know they're in the final round they get one well two points more to get the win on that ballot and they're in the final round I mean and UVA I mean when you talk about what UVA's results have been, they were in the final round for two years in a row, and then they got second last year and second again this year. I mean, that is about, uh, aside from Yale, that is about as good as any team has done uh, almost basically ever um, over a four-year span. I mean, that is just really, really crazy. And uh, my hat is off to them. I mean, they had a 40-and-a-half CS, and to come away with 11 11 and a half wins with such a high CS is definitely really, really impressive from them. And uh, it says a lot to be impressive from UVA. Yeah. I, I think like this division, I mean, and we haven't 
you know, we haven't spent much time yet. We haven't mentioned specifically, aside from the redown, uh, third place Chicago, who is right there. They weren't in that top round, but they were right behind. And Chicago is just perennially just just really, really strong. But what was so impressive about UVA and Rhodes, and especially Rhodes, but but UVA was was right behind them, is that to get to where they were, they you you have to fight through that middle group, right? And one of the things we learned, one of the things we experienced in this situation, you know, when we get to the other division, is how hard it is when you when you work your way, when you win your first round, and maybe you know you have the majority of the ballots to the first two rounds, then you get that round three, and it's like, man, you got to get through there, you know. And if you end up getting pulled down a little bit, it's really hard to jump that top group and get into the final round. And so for UVA and Rhodes year after year after year to fight through and just prove like they are the cream of the crop in this, you know, in this tournament world and for UVA to win the point differential in that last round uh, shows you that it very easily, like you said, that one point, if you, if that becomes a one point win for UVA, we're talking about for the third time in four years, what would have been a UVA Yale final round. So, uh, there's that. Uh, I did want to mention uh, Texas A&M. Uh, this was their first trip uh, to nationals, I believe, ever. If not, it's been quite some time. If not, uh, they won the Spirit of Anto with a perfect 30 ranks, which, to be honest, at nationals is not an easy thing to do when you think about just the level of stress that people are experiencing. They come in, they win four ballots, they have a strong showing, um, and then win the Spirit of Amta in their division. Uh, so, I mean, and, and then there were a lot of really great B teams in this division too. So I think it was really interesting and you don't want to get lost, you know, UVA and Rhodes are UVA and Rhodes. And it's like, we'll probably, you know, I don't know if we'll be doing this podcast in five years, but they'll be competing for final rounds and competing for championships and in, in five years. And that's certainly no shock. And they'll both have advocates represented at trial by combat. And so it is certainly worth just taking a pause to marvel at year in and year out how they continue to do what they do. Yeah, it, it really is truly astounding and really, really impressive. Uh, I will say one of the things that I, I was so I, I loved about this Nationals, and, and we didn't mention it yet, but Grant Keener and his team really did such a phenomenal job of running this tournament. The the limited experience I had seemed like it was really run well. Rounds were starting on time, and they had four judges. I mean, the point I was about to make was that when you look at some of these rounds, if they are scored with the traditional two judges, how different our perception on them may be. Just again, let's go back to that UVA roads. If it's just the two judges that found for UVA, then we're talking about wow, UVA swept roads. If we're talking about the two that found for roads, wow, roads swept UVA. And only when we get this full encompassing view of all four of them do we see wow, it was a really close round. They split it 50 50. And I think that it goes back to this point of, you know, there is, when we're talking about judging, it is so subjective, but it's also so selective. You just don't always get the full view with only two judges. And that's why I think having more is so great. And especially at the nationals level, having as many judges as we can get is, is huge because it really gives us a better impression of what that round was and just you're getting more opinions. And when so much is decided by so little, I mean, Duke and UVA's third round, UVA took two ballots by one point. I mean, that is that that changes so dramatically where this last round would be. If Duke takes those two, all of a sudden they're playing Rhodes in that final round, and maybe this is a very different story. Who knows? Yeah, on on that point, real quick about about Grant and this Nationals, I just want to say 
Um, and this is only the second time we've ever been. And when we went two years ago, UCLA did a stellar job. Um, this was a phenomenally run nationals from start to finish. Uh, the courthouse was great. And I'd gotten the privilege of competing at it with your, your great tournament drew, but, but the facility was beautiful opening ceremonies in the, like the Benjamin Franklin Memorial at the Franklin Institute. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, what did I, one of the speakers said, you know, this is like 300% more marble columns than we've ever had in an AMTA opening ceremony. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, and, and to have Larry Krasner, the DA in Philadelphia, speak at openings. Um, it was immaculately run from start to finish. I, I I had to ask Grant for help a couple times throughout the weekend. And I don't understand when I run an invitational, you know, with 25 teams, 26 teams, and you try to text me, you know, good luck getting a response at certain points. And I would text Grant you know, like what was, had to be some of the most stressful times of the weekend and he'd fire off a response right away, or he'd have a volunteer take care of something. The round started very close to on time, which with four judges and like that many teams in one building is near impossible. Um, I just, my hats off to him for what was an incredibly well-run tournament from start to finish. I really, I cannot say enough about how fantastic he and his team did in making this tournament really just a top-notch celebration of uh you know of our national championship yeah for sure i mean it just it it looked like a lot of fun and again i mean to your point that it is not easy to host 48 teams and they made it look easy so that is always definitely good to see and moving on though to the uh, aptly named frank dr frank lisa division um which on that brief note i thought uh it was really, really awesome that they were able to name that division after him. I think that that was just a, a really nice note to have on this. And and I know we mentioned it last time, but uh, just getting to hear from some people speak about him again at closings, I thought that it, it was just a really nice way to kind of pay homage to our, our past president and someone that uh, obviously the community looks up to a lot. But without further ado, uh, the winner of the Dr. Frank Guliza division was Yale University with 13 wins, followed by Miami University with 12 wins, Cornell with 11 and a half, and that was Cornell A, uh, Patrick Henry College uh, in fourth with 11 and a half and a CS of uh, 28, uh, Ohio State University B in fifth with the exact same 10 and a half wins and a ridiculous 40 and a half CS. Columbia University was in sixth with also 10.5 wins and a 31.5 CS. UCLA A was in seventh with 10.5 wins and a CS of 31. And then Ben, your own UMBC in eighth place with 10 wins and a CS of 37.5, followed by UC Berkeley uh, with a 10 wins and a CS of 33.5. And, and finally, in 10th place, we have South Carolina with nine wins, rounding out the the 10 winners uh, from the Dr. Frank Guliza division. We had three honorable mentions, though, Georgetown, UGA, and Rhodes, uh, Rhodes B, and all three of them had eight wins. Um, you know, this was definitely a, definitely a, a little bit more surprising in some regards, uh, this division. I think that the, the big surprise for everyone was definitely South Carolina. Um, they were coming in as a team that, you know, got through regionals. They got an open bid to nationals. I don't think people were really expecting them to, to place. And then they showed everyone how wrong they were. They had a phenomenal uh, showing. I mean, their very first round, they 
took three and a half ballots out off of Patrick Henry, who ended with 11 and a half wins. I mean, clearly a really strong team that University of South Carolina beat. So there's no doubt that they earned their place there. And that is really, really great to see. Um, And I think that it was just kind of funny that this was the division that was kind of characterized outside of, of Yale who won it. But Miami and Patrick Henry both took a combined half ballot in the first round and yet they ended up in second and fourth. And I mean, it shows that you don't don't count your chickens till they've hatched. I mean, you've got to you got four rounds to play. And even if that first round doesn't go as planned, you're not out of it until they declare that winner um, in round four. So keep working hard. And, and Miami really showing that taking 12 ballots in a row through rounds two through four. Um, so definitely a good good showing from them. But um yeah, I mean, Ben, uh, you obviously were in this division. You played a lot of these teams. What do you think? Yeah, so how this division played out is so interesting to me, right? Because on the other side, you sort of, you know, if you were to look at almost like a bracket style map, you would say UVA and Rhodes kind of like riding towards the top and towards an inevitable crash course, right? Towards each other. That's not what you had in this division, right? In some ways, you're you know, your inevitable collision happened in round three when you had Yale and Cornell play each other uh, and Yale, you know, got the better of Cornell. Uh, but here you had three kind of top rounds, right? Because you had our round with Yale and then you had Cornell with UCLA and then you had Columbia against Berkeley all. And then even Miami in the round below that uh, also with eight wins, right? So all of those teams really in the other division, you really had in round four, you had two teams. And it was like one of those two teams barring i think there might have been a scenario where chicago could have gotten through but it would have taken something real weird but on this side you had like a number of different scenarios where a whole bunch of those teams specifically cornell and ucla in the second uh round down playing each other at nine wins each uh there was a scenario where each one of those teams with a sweep and and with you know us taking some ballots off of yale could have gotten through so there was even a a wild situation that could have happened where if we'd gotten three and a half ballots off of Yale and everything else played out how it did, Miami could have jumped the top three rounds and gotten in at 12 wins, you know? So I think on this side, what you saw was just by virtue of how the pairings went and how there were a lot of splits, right? You had teams splitting with each other left and right with the exception of Yale who managed to, you know, work their way through to the top. Uh, Just some really phenomenal programs you know, beating each other up, right? That you had, mm-hmm. you know, we we come through and, and our rounds two, three, four are, you know, Berkeley, Columbia, Yale, like, yeah, we're, we're at nationals now. Um, and then of course, round four, Berkeley and Columbia, both needing ballots hit each other. Um, and Cornell and UCLA, these two phenomenal powerhouses, both needing ballots hit each other. And none of those teams managed to, you know, and us needing ballots and Yale needing, you know, less ballots than everyone else, but still needing ballots, we hit each other. So, I think this division was defined a little bit more by chaos and a lot of it, you know, if you sort of take UCLA out of the mix for a second, just like a bunch of really great Northeast and, you know, Midwest, but more Eastern Midwest teams just beating the living hell out of each other (laughs) for four rounds. Uh, It was a great tournament to be a part of. Uh, We had four fantastic rounds. We had a great round with Penn State in round one. Um, that round four against Yale, which yes, um, <laughs> we were the first team. We were the guinea pig. You know, we were the first team that saw the full blown 
defense case that Yale ran that they subsequently ran later that day in the final round. It was just just a really awesome experience to be a part of that round. To be, I mean, we were impermissible into the top round. We were technically the second P down on that side, and then um, Cornell had already played Yale the round before, so we got swapped with them. But that was just. I mean, honestly, it was an honor to be a part of that round. It was it was a really, really great experience, and, and we had a phenomenal time. Just a quick clarification, Cornell and Yale played round two, not round three. But other than that, I agree with everything else you said, Ben. Um, one thing that I do want to add, I think that I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that Ohio State B managed to come in fifth with a 10 and a half wins. I mean, that we kind of glazed over that. They were the only team to take any ballots off of Miami and they took four. I mean, I remember when I, I was just, you know, hearing people about the tab cards and I, I get this, I, I saw this first round pairing with Miami and Ohio state. And I see that, you know, I, I'm looking at, okay, four wins, one's by 40. And I, in my head, I'm saying, okay, Miami, a Ohio state B defending national champions. They must have taken all four. And then I looked a little closer and I was like, oh my gosh, those are losses. I mean, Ohio State B, that is just amazing for them. They really did an amazing job. I mean, the the only team that they dropped any, I mean, they dropped one ballot in their second round. They dropped, they had a tie in their third round. Um, their round three, they faced Yale and, and got swept. But aside from that, they have a loss and a tie. I mean, I know it's to, to just take away that one round, but this is a B team we're talking about. Like that is just incredible to me. That is the strongest showing of any B team. And I think that it is without a doubt, people can confidently say that Ohio State had the strongest overall program performance of anyone. Um, I mean, that is to, to between your, your two teams have a combined 21 wins at the national championship where I, I, I'm lost for words. I mean, that that is just really showing that they are a force to be reckoned with at all levels of their program. And to my understanding, they're not even graduating that many seniors. I, I do believe they're graduating uh, Mahmoud Bari, who's graduate, who uh, double awarded, but the only double all American at the tournament. Yeah, I mean, clearly very strong attorney, but I mean, the fact that they're going to be returning the entire rest of that program, basically that just did that well, Look, I, I don't want to face Ohio State anytime soon. At, at their A team, their C team, whatever team, they're clearly they know what they're doing over there. Yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, like, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I think it's it's been a long time since we've hit them, but everyone said from all the coaches that I talked to that they were just really phenomenal. And and it's funny too, just like you know, no good deed goes unpunished, right? So like, mm -hmm. Ohio State B comes in and sweeps Miami, uh, and this is. Miami is our defending national champion. I mean, technically not anymore, but like they were last year. Um, this is not a shot on them at all, right? But so what happens? Ohio State gets fifth with a CS of 40 and a half Jeez. and Miami gets second with a CS of 28. Yep. Oh. And so it's the difference when you sweep that first round, mm -hmm. you know, and you get tossed into that upper group, uh, you know, and that's, again, Miami obviously belongs where they belong. Like if, if anyone thinks that Miami isn't one of the best teams in the country, they're they're a fool because they won the national championship. They're routinely up there for being competitive for second. national like championship. They got second. Right, know. exactly. You got second in national. I don't care if your CS is six. Like you get second in nationals, you're one of the best teams in the country. Um, also, that's mathematically impossible, but you get my point. Uh, <laughs> so, no, I think 
Ohio State had a fantastic tournament. Uh, UCLA had a, you know, one of their B team got honorable mention. Their A team got seventh. Um, you expect them maybe to be a little bit higher, but they also, yeah. they just had a tough schedule, yeah. you know, and, and who knows, maybe it just wasn't. I mean, they had to come a long way uh, to compete at in Philly and, you know, who knows how that went. But I think this, I can say confidently having played three of the four teams that, you know, competed in, that placed in the top 10, that this was a pretty phenomenal division and that there were just, yep. you know, there were amazing powerhouse teams that didn't even get in the top 10, that mm-hmm. didn't even get honorable mention. I mean, Georgetown at eight wins is pretty fantastic. Uh, just, you know, to accomplish that Rhodes B with eight wins. There are some other really great teams that, that just couldn't quite get into that Stanford top 10. Yeah. Stanford, Lincoln center, uh, you know, Florida had a rough weekend, but Florida is always fantastic. Uh, you know, it just, from top to bottom, both. Oh, look! So it's national. From top to bottom, they're both going to be fantastic. But we had four really, really great rounds. Yeah, I, I really, I want to echo that, Ben. I mean, it, it literally, there were just it, this is tough. Like it, again, it's nationals. There's a lot of really good teams here. Um, I, I think that the the last thing I, I did want to just say about Ohio State. The other thing I love about Ohio State is that they are just some of the like. Look, I, people get on us about saying this all the time, but they're so damn nice. Like I love Ohio State. We got to scrimmage them last year. You know, I, I was hanging out with some of their guys uh, after the final round. They're just such great guys, and I, I was so happy to see them do so well. The only moment that may have made me happier the whole tournament was seeing uh, Patrick Henry get fourth. I mean, this is their coach's mm-hmm. division. To, to do so well in the division named after him. I think that's just such a poetic and wonderful end uh, to, to that for them. So I, I'm, I'm really happy for them to see them have that type of success. And again, I mean, they're a great rebound story of, of having that first round not go super well and then, you know, coming through and just destroying every other round they were in. So I was really happy to see Patrick Henry have that type of success. And because I mentioned some of those redemption stories in the other division, I did want to mention uh, Columbia, you know, probably the big shock last year of not making it uh, internationals, you know, came back this year, showed everyone, hey, we're Columbia, we deserve to be there, we deserve to be in the top 10. And they had a really strong showing to, to get uh, six there. So definitely good on Columbia. I, this is another team that I played during the year. And yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, definitely deserve to be there and were a force. Um, yeah. Can, can we played them this weekend? I, I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like I, I just, I look at the the list and I mean, you were saying it earlier, there's so many teams that we didn't even get to talk about that, that didn't place that I'm like, wow, that team didn't do better. I mean, they're so, so good. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, I mentioned it, but Stanford, I mean, I was definitely surprised Stanford didn't even make an honorable mention. That was definitely surprising to me. We spoke to Jack and, and, and Tom before, and they're really great over there, and they know what they're doing, preparing for, for mock trial tournaments, and they're really, really good at it. I'm excited to hear how Jack does at Trial by Combat. Um, so I was a little surprised to see um, them not having a better showing. But, I mean, man, it's just, Nationals is hard, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it. It is. And along that line, I want to, because I mentioned it in the other division, I want to shout out something that was really, really cool in this division, which is that we had two teams for Spamta or Spirit of Amta uh, with a perfect 30. The runner up was Stanford with 30, and the winner was Wesleyan, who was one Spirit of Amta at regionals, at, mm-hmm. at the Owings Mills regional that we hosted at Orcs. 
and at nationals and and two things on that point one to have two teams in one division with perfect 30 ranks is really awesome mm-hmm. i think it speaks to the collegiality that i saw throughout the weekend right that everyone's stressed and everyone's tired and everyone wants to win but i saw you know just from everyone that we encountered a really great level of professionalism and cooperation which which i thought was um really awesome and and then just really to to Wesleyan specifically, the reason their tiebreaker was that someone wrote like a really specific comment about them. And should we all aspire to be Yale and be in five consecutive final rounds? Sure. I think everyone would love that. I certainly would love that. But <laughs> um, I would say I would challenge the EMTA community that you should more than anything else, you should want to be like Wesleyan. That mm-hmm. I'm not sure I can think of a more impressive individual accomplishment this season from one team than winning the spirit of AMTA at regionals, orcs, and nationals, mm-hmm. right? That is phenomenal. That shows that this is a program. They got two teams to nationals and they're winning spirit of AMTA. If you think you can't do both, you can, right? You're, mm-hmm. Then you're just ignorant because it's like they are clearly wonderful people. And I've had limited intera- interactions with them that have been tremendously positive. But like, look at that. If you're one of those programs out there who isn't like that, rethink how you're doing things because mm-hmm. clearly Wesleyan is showing us that you can be both incredibly nice and incredibly good at the same time. And and I'm glad you mentioned Wesleyan because they are – what is so crazy to me is that Wesleyan is – Wesleyan and Rhodes are these two schools that are much smaller than I think people realize. They are small, small schools that both of them got two teams to nationals. That is just so beyond impressive to me. And I know a lot of the people at Wesleyan, they are really young right now. They are they are extraordinarily young. My understanding is that they have one senior and one junior, and the rest of their program is freshmen and sophomores. That is Wesleyan is going to be a force for the next couple of years. They've gotten three teams through regionals both of the last two years. And after not making nationals last year, they got two through this year. I'm telling you right now, do not sleep on Wesleyan. They are going to be a true, true force in this community for the next few years. And I'm excited to see how they do. And to your point, Ben, to see how they do it so nice and so, so well. I, I, some of these teams need to have some freaking seniors. Hey, like you can't talk. That's not fair. I, I okay i at least like you know i lose an important senior but some of these teams are like oh sorry we're all 16 year olds we're gonna be here for the next five years i'm like what the hell like like i i do have to sleep at some point you know but no i admire so much what what a program like wesleyan is doing and, and it challenges me as a coach to be like hey why haven't we won spamta in a little while like what are we doing wrong that isn't getting us spamta uh because you know, I just I really think that that's the mentality that every student and every coach should have, which is that if you win trophies and you also win Spirit of Amta, like that is an accomplishment that speaks so much about your character as a program. And one last thing that I actually really want to mention that he's going to laugh about later, but a good friend of mine is currently coaching both Northwestern and Wesleyan. His name is Nat Warner. He's currently a law student, and I, I just want to give a shout out to Nat for managing to get four teams to nationals obviously you know as as a coach ben as you know you get so proud of of how your kids are doing but uh he went to wesleyan and he's now uh, helping out with northwestern he's uh in law school at u chicago and you know nearby and he's helping them out too but uh definitely a, a great accomplishment 
for both of those programs and, and for him specifically. He's a really great guy, and clearly he's instilling uh, the right type of mock in them. And uh, it's just pretty cool. I mean, four teams at Nationals is definitely nothing to, to smirk at. Yeah. I, I think the last thing that I want to say on this division, because I think we're going to, before we wrap up, we're going to chat about the, the trial by combat field for just a moment. You want to get a sense of how tough this division was, right? Just go look at the All-American Attorney Awards mm-hmm. because the top six All-American Attorney Awards in this division are all going to trial by combat this year. And um, the eighth person, Sangeetha Kanan, is the trial by combat alternate. Like that. So basically like the strong majority of advocates who won All-Americans in this division are going to go to trial by combat. And I know there are several in the temple division as well. It doesn't pan out quite as uh, poetically, uh, but there, there are a few from that division as well, but you just, that's crazy. The top six, you know, numerical advocates in this division are all going to be competing at trial by combat. It was just, you know, from both divisions, but this is obviously the division we're in. So I got to see it more directly, just oral advocacy at its absolute finest. And it's such a pleasure to be a part of it when, when you get the opportunity to. Well, I'm speaking of trial by combat, Ben, uh, the final 16 students have been confirmed. Um, just to quickly read off that list, um, it's in alphabetical order. We have Mary Preston Austin of Wheaton College, Elizabeth Bays of Yale University, Regina Campbell of Chicago, Daniel Elliott of Rhodes, Natalie Garson of Boston University, uh, Sydney Gaskins of your own University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Sabrina Grandi of UVA, Christopher Grant of Northwood, Claudine Isaac of NYU, Stephen Johnson of University of Cincinnati, Mike Kleinman of Rutgers, Jonathan Kuang of UCLA, Jack Siegenthaler of Stanford, Sarah Stebbins of Georgia Tech, Stephen Torres of Cornell, and finally, Madeline White of Miami University. Um, I'm really excited to see how this trial by combat field works out, uh, how, how they end up doing. It seems like a really strong field. I think that a good number of them are returners. So Elizabeth Bays, uh, Christopher Grant, Stephen Johnson, Mike Kleinman, Jack Siegenthaler, and Sarah Stevens are all returners. So I'm really excited to see how being a returner kind of plays into things. I feel like there's definitely an advantage of knowing what the format is like, knowing what one day of prep is like. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see how they do. I'm excited to, to, you know, obviously we get very limited results, but I'm definitely excited to definitely at least watch the final round. Yeah. And we'll, I think we're planning on trying to do a trial by combat specific episode and maybe hopefully chat with Justin again and, and chat with a competitor or two. Uh, but since the field had just been finalized, uh, you know, we wanted to go through it. I'm obviously very proud of Sydney for being there. I'm very excited for uh, my opportunity. I, I'm going to be coaching with her and, and the opportunity to coach at a tournament like this with just a, just an incredible field. You know, you look down that list and you just look at, the pedigree, it is all, I believe Justin's emails the other day said there are 27 All-Americans uh, in that 16, which is just kind of alarming, you know, like yeah. that you get that that amazing of a field together. Um, so I think we got a lot to look forward to, you know, like I, I, I know sometimes I think I can get on my soapbox about that, but you think like we're going to do an episode about the final round. And, and I know there's, there's some controversy about the final round, but you also just saw some pretty incredible advocacy from mm-hmm. two of Amter's greatest programs in the final round. You're going to get to see some incredible advocacy at trial by combat. And then 
you know, before we know it, it's going to be August 15th and we'll do it all over again. (laughs) Ah, yes. The sigh of, is it really happening again? But also I can't wait. By the time we get there, we're all going to be clamoring. You know, it's going to be July, mid July and everyone's going to be like, when's the case coming out? We really want to do mock trial again. So, you know, like, and that's, that's me. I'm doing an impersonation of me as well as, you know, everyone else (laughs) in the country. So, but Hey, you know, I, I think it was a great season. I think we had a really great time and we're looking forward to continuing to break down the end of the season and developments as, as they come. I don't know what 100% certainty yet, whether or not I'll be in Cincinnati for the board meeting this year, but if I am, we'll certainly do an episode about that. And, you know, there's just a lot of exciting things to come. And, and you know, we're like I said, we're really hoping to try and sit down and break down the final round in, in more detail sometime real soon. Yep. Uh, I, I guess my last thing, I just wanted to say, you know, this is semi the, the conclusion of this competitive season. I, obviously, we're going to try and do a, a quick one about the final round and we'll talk about trial by combat. But uh, I really, this is kind of our, our first year full circle to be doing uh, this mock trial podcast. And I think that uh, it's just been such an honor to get to do this for the community. Um, I've heard from so many people such positive feedback and it's been such a pleasure and something that I know Ben, you and I share this, that we really take a lot of pride in it. Um, we love people's feedback. We've loved getting to have so many of the amazing um, interviewees on the show. Uh, they've just been really fascinating. And, and again, the reception that we've had has been tremendous. So thank you guys so much for all of your support. Uh, we really love doing this and we enjoy doing it. So we're looking forward to continuing as far as we can, even though I've graduated and I'm just going to be reminiscing in the good old days, but I will do my best. Yeah, no, I, I echo that completely. This is, it's a joy, you know, even, you know, I know I am not always the world's greatest about getting at it episodes turned around as quickly as I would like. I'm working on trying to get better at that uh, and trying to expedite the process a little bit, but it's, you know, we've had so many great people on with us and, you know, it was a really awesome season to break down. And it's, it's like you said, it's an honor to get to do this for a community that, that means so much to both of us. Mm -hmm. And we're very appreciative of the people who choose to spend some of their time with us, you know, listening to the episodes when we release them. So we will continue working on what we've got in the hopper. And in the meantime, congratulations to everyone on making it through the season. It's hard, whether you (laughs) went to regionals and and that was the end of your season or whether you got to orcs or whether you got to nationals or whether you won the national championship, whatever it was. Congratulations to everyone out there on another successful season. We appreciate everything that the fine folks at AMTA do, all of the hours that they spend volunteering to make it possible. And, you know, we're looking forward to just continuing to break it down as long as you all keep doing mock trial we'll keep talking about it so in the meantime until we talk to everyone uh hopefully very soon this has been the mock review with ben and drew well drew after months and months of uh digging into Midlands Television Studios versus Danny Kozak. It feels like just yesterday that we sat down and chatted with Mike Gelfand right after the case came out. And that case is officially done. We are done with the Orcs season. We have our full 48-team field for Nationals. uh, And we have moved on to Empower Milk versus Jerry Anderson. Uh, I can honestly say that I think it was a great season. I think uh, MTS versus Kozak produced a lot of fun. I think we really enjoyed our time with the case and, you know, looking forward to 
to working with the Nationals case and and you know Drew it's it's just hard to believe that that we're already I mean we're recording this just over a week until uh you know Nationals is scheduled to gavel in yeah, I mean, I will say that it is nice not having to worry about prepping the new case. I, I the small, it's a a guilty pleasure for sure of like, you know, having to just stay up all night and just grinding for that those couple of weeks before nationals. But definitely, my grades uh, are going to thank me later on and being able to actually get some sleep. So I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, but it does look like a fun one. I'm sure teams are enjoying getting to dig into it. It's one of those things where. You know, it, it feels like it's so fast. I feel like we just got MTS first Kozak recently, but at the same time, like getting something new is so exciting. I mean, we all get excited about case changes and to get a brand new case to completely wipe the slate clean. There's something exciting about that. I feel like every team looks forward to having those conversations about, okay, let's restart the case theory, you know, blank board, just throw some ideas up there. Let's figure it out. Um, so that's always fun to get to go through, and I'm sure teams are enjoying that stage of this process right now. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's what we're going through right now, and just kind of like wiping everything, like you said, and and digging into it. And you're not wrong about the toll that it takes. You know, I'm sitting here recording, and and my dog is laying on the floor next to me, just giving me the eyes like you haven't paid attention to me in in a month, <laughs> which is fair, you know. Um, but it it it. You know, I think the the case committee this year with with MTS, you know, Vikozak, like should take a well deserved bow because you know I think all things considered, uh, it's always hard to compare cases. You know, that's such a difficult thing to do. We all have our personal favorites. I sometimes I see people bad mouthing the Danny Dawson case, which was the first one I ever did, and I love that case. I thought it was great. Um, and but I, I think that that Gelf and Co did a great job and they, and they allowed us to have a, a case that really produced some interesting tournaments and some interesting theories. And uh, I think more than most cases in recent years, some really creative witness options uh, that I think produced some really fun individual trials and individual characters this year. So like, like you said, it, it's great to move forward to the new case, but um, all things considered, I see a lot of positives that came from MTS versus Kozak. And I think history is going to treat it. Uh, pretty well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, whether it's the case being exceptionally well balanced or just us having a really even field, uh, before we even talk about the orcs uh, that we haven't reviewed just yet, but from week two, it's interesting. Uh, during week two, there was not a single eight win team. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I mean, we had five orcs and no one had a perfect record. I mean, that to me is just definitely something that I, I kind of noticed and was like, wow, this is either a really balanced case or just these teams are really, really balanced and there's no one really running away from any, many of the packs. You know, it's it's interesting that you mention that because, you know, having like just come off experiencing the case at Orcs, I, I think it's it'll be interesting to see whether or not the actual case balance statistics from Orcs are something that Amta sort of has to look at in the future. Because I, I will say the one thing about this case at Orcs is it it was not a balanced case at Orcs. I'm looking at the the stats that um, you know someone sat down and, and calculated just based on the tab summaries. And um, assuming that this is accurate, and my understanding is that it is, um, plaintiff only won about 43 to 44% of ballots at Orcs. And round three, that critical round three, plaintiff won less than 42% of ballots overall. Um, and I think you did see that defense bias that people talk about. Um, 
I think you did see that really come to a head at, at orcs. And, and at the end of the day, I don't think that like, maybe it has an impact in a really, really close round. I'm not necessarily convinced that it may have been the deciding factor for a team going to nationals or not going to nationals, but it definitely was a little interesting to me that while I can tell you having done the case and seen the case in action at orcs, it felt balanced to me. I didn't feel like either side was at a disadvantage. Um, I do wonder if uh, the defense, you know, having the counterclaim and therefore like having the opportunity to go on the offensive a little bit more and also not carrying as much of a storytelling burden. I wonder if when we got to orcs that started to show itself where the defense was like less constrained and they could go a little bit crazier with characters that would score well while the plaintiffs still sort of had to build like a, a basic foundation. You know, so I don't know. I, I don't know what those results tell us going forward, but I did at least think they were interesting. Well, whether it was the case or not, we definitely know that it was a very, very balanced uh, tournament, at least uh, as far as the orcs go. We, as I, uh, we definitely had a lot of really, really competitive orcs. And before we even get into them, I, I think that we would go without. Uh, it, it would just be wrong to to not mention a couple surprises to not make it through. Um, and these are both from the top 10 TPR. Like I, I just, Michigan and Harvard both didn't make it through to, to nationals. And I think that, I mean, I remember last year when Columbia didn't make it through and they were a top 10 team and everyone was so shocked. I mean, to have two top 10 teams not make it out, I, it leaves you at a bit of a bit of a loss. I mean, I just, I, I can't imagine that those teams don't, deserve to be there purely from the the talented program that they're coming from they've both had exceptionally talented showings at invitationals this year and just gotta feel bad for them i mean it's tough i'm sure there are a lot of teams that would have done fantastic at nationals but when you're at that level it's it's tough that it becomes almost an expectation that you're making it yeah yeah so uh we have first-hand experience with both of those teams we, we usually hit michigan at least once or twice a year we hit them at at gamty this year and they were great um we hit them twice at yale last year and they were great um round four at orcs uh, in, in richmond we hit harvard b uh who was who had come down there on an open bid and and they we split a real narrow round with them they were very good and so i can imagine that how harvard a must have been really stellar uh and so, yeah, it, it is just surprising when you see that. I mean, at Harvard, you think we're not that far away from Harvard winning a national championship. <laughs> uh, and so for them then to turn around and, you know, and not be going to nationals, you, you know, it, like you said, it, there are so many great teams in the field of 48 that it's 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 hard to say, OK, well, we're going to put them in instead of, you know, whatever team that, that got a bid. But it is definitely surprising to not see programs of that depth and that level of success in the final 48. Yep, I couldn't agree more. But without further ado, let's talk on a lighter note on the teams that actually did make it through. So we're going to start out in Chestnut Hill. Uh, as we all know, there were five bids. Man, that still is weird to say, but five bids from the Chestnut Hill Orcs, starting with Boston University B with seven and a half wins, Tufts A with seven and a half, Yale A with seven, Boston College with A, and then Wesleyan A with five and a half wins. And sorry, Boston College was six. Uh, this to me was a pretty, as we've kind of seen, a pretty competitive orcs. Um, I will say, just to note, I'm going to try and note all of them. Wesley and A made it with less than six wins. Um, 
had a very, very difficult schedule. Um, as we can see, I'm sure that they deserve it. They're great people over there, and I'm really happy to see them make it through. Um, but just in, in fairness, I'm going to try and mention all the teams that did have less than six wins, since as we'll get to it later, some teams had six wins and did not make it all the way to nationals. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, this is fairly to form. I think that Yale B not making it through to me was pretty surprising just as Yale. And again, pretty surprising. Like I think that expecting a B team to make it through is pretty unfair and unreasonable when five teams are getting a bid, but they're Yale. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. I expected Yale A and B to make it through and to see Yale B not definitely um, a bit surprising, but for the most part, those are the top teams here that I, I was pretty much expecting. Yeah, and, and you know this. There were there were some interesting things that that happened here, and, and we've mentioned Harvard already, but I wanted to mention them in the context of right, of course, how brutal this year is because we ta- we alluded to this last week. But one of the things that the five bids does is for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with the tabulation procedures, right, is the way you calculate in round four at, at regionals, regionals and orcs, you, you have an in-bracket and an out-bracket, or a primary and a secondary bracket, depending on what terminology you use. And you calculate how many teams are in that primary bracket by what the first out record is. What is the record of the team that would be the, in this case, the sixth place team? That at a, at a orcs field of 24 teams is a pretty high record, which means that there's usually at these orcs, there's been a fairly small number of teams uh, in that first primary bracket. And so what happens is you have something like three, two and one Brown a against three, two and one Harvard a in round four. If either of them, especially if Brown gets that, that, you know, gets that ballot, their CS was 22 and a half. They grab the bid over Wesleyan. If Harvard gets that ballot, um, they lose a CS point. Their CS would be 17. You know, it could have affected other things, but they at least would have been right there for the possibility of that, you know, um, of that uh, last bid. Instead, they split. Um, and my understanding is I think a friend of the pod, Mike Gelfin, was one of the judges in that round and said it was just phenomenal, phenomenal advocacy. And so, uh, in these types of situations, you end up with these brutal round four matchups and you get a split and neither team moves on. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up Brown. I have been fortunate to go against Brown twice this year. They're really, really fun. They're great competitors. And I mean, they have a 22 and a half CS. And I, I mean, I know everyone was surprised to see, uh, I think Duke was the one that was the one last year that was a, a strong program to just come away with a disgustingly high CS. But I mean... I got to say, we're we're noticing this trend of most of the teams making it through. And again, you can only beat who you're facing. But I mean, the highest CS we have here is Wesleyan with 17 and a half. And that's pretty true of most of the Orcs. You're just not seeing a lot of teams with a very high CS make it through. And part of that's because those teams beat the teams they played. So it's harder for them to high, a high CS. But I mean, 22 and a half, that's just, it feels almost insurmountable when you get a schedule like that. I mean, it's just when we're talking about two losses maybe being too too many i mean if you have a really tough schedule or you're playing harvard and you're playing you know tufts and and all these other strong teams it's just gonna be really hard to make it through and and orcs as tough as these yeah no i I think that's exactly right you know and you just (laughs) brown's schedule was about as crazy i mean so what you round one they get princeton a 
um, and they get one and a half ballots. Round two, they get Boston University A, and they grab two ballots. Round three, they get Tufts A, and then round four, they get Harvard A. Like, what? Yeah, that's just that's you know, and it's you. So I, you, you take your hat off to them for getting a winning record. You know, with a twenty-two and a half CS. Like, yeah. you know, it almost feels like an, it should be an act of AMTA bid or something because it's like to even earn a winning record in that situation is is really an accomplishment. Um, so yeah, I think those were the main things that stood out to me. Like, you know, you mentioned, you know, a lot of really, really good teams at the, you know, just when you go up North and you get into the, you know, sort of the Yale Harvard world, like, you know, in Tufts and BU and Boston college and Brown, it's like, man, I'm really glad we're not competing up there. <laughs> yeah, I, I really agree. Uh, it, it definitely was a tough one. The last thing that I, I do want to mention about this, I think it's really interesting Yale A began Oryx the same way they began regionals against Colby College. Mm -hmm. This time we had a bit of a different result, but I, I mean, how exciting is that? Uh, I, I remember seeing the first round pairings and everyone going, oh my goodness, Colby's got a chance to do it again to him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was a different result. Um, Yale did take both of those ballots and uh, definitely asserted themselves as belonging at nationals with a strong record, but always fun just to see kind of those rematches play out especially seeing as that was basically what did Yale in um, from their regionals so definitely good for them and for Colby College I mean hey not many teams can say they've gone against Yale for a total of four ballots and come away with two of them so definitely an accomplishment for them as well yep an accomplishment for them and you know Yale's got a shot at at you know they'll be they'll be in the running at least for maybe trying to make a fifth consecutive appearance in the final round you know we'll, we'll see but uh they'll they'll be there you know they'll take a shot at it and you know clearly they you know if you look down at the awards you know you got uh 18p and 18d for one elizabeth base so uh, clearly, you know, there were some familiar names on, on that roster. Um, okay. So we move to, uh, Decatur down in Georgia. Uh, as we've mentioned, this is a five bid orcs like all of them. And you had in order Georgia tech, a Duke, a Florida, a Emory, a Emory B. And then those were your five earned bids. And then the university of South Carolina, a, uh, earned a bid out of this orcs as one of the three open bid teams. Uh, Drew, I mean, I think this, you know, this this field, you, you had a lot of really, really great teams. Seeing Georgia Tech pull out, you know, as the first bid is certainly no surprise, you know, with Sarah Stebbins, you know, still there and in what I think is her fifth and final year. Uh, Duke and Florida are two great teams and, and Duke um, obviously missing out on the national championship last year with uh, what I think was some sort of insane CS. Um, and then Emory's a great program, but still to see Emory get two teams out is is very impressive. Uh, so that certainly caught my eye. And then uh, South Carolina getting in off the open bid list when they were an open bid with four and a half just to get to Orcs in the first place uh, is an impressive accomplishment. As I mentioned, when we talked about them at regionals, uh, I repped their regional two years in a row. They're really good people, and I'm really, really happy for them. I think they they probably worked extremely hard to you know, pick it up from regionals to orcs. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of programs that maybe you would expect to see moving on here and, and nothing too shocking, I think. I mean, the thing I would say about this is that we have to remember that the team that made it out from Georgia Tech was Georgia Tech B, not Georgia Tech A. And that, I mean, Georgia Tech A is, uh, you mentioned Sarah Stebbins, but this is a really strong team that has been together for a while now 
the team that was at nationals last year, I don't believe graduated anyone. And I mean, again, this comes back to the point. They were six and two with a CS of 15 and a half. And that wasn't just not good enough for them to get in at six, but it wasn't good enough for them to get an open bid. And I mean, wow, like that's just, it is tough. And I, I, my hat is off to Georgia Tech B for, for having such a strong showing. Um, and you know saving their program that bid but man i mean like georgia tech a is just another one of those national tier teams where if their b team didn't come through and get that that bid that we wouldn't be seeing them actually as i'm saying that i do believe that they would have gotten off the open bid in that case yeah i think they would have still point being the lack of a direct bid from georgia tech a is definitely something worth noting and it was definitely a very surprising result and on the other end of that as you said Emory getting two teams through um, is definitely a surprise. I think that Emory is one of those teams that I've always loved Emory. I, Emory was one of those schools right around where I grew up. But um, I mean, Emory has been routinely making nationals for a while now, but I don't think that they've really been talked about in the same way that a lot of these con, you know consistent nationals returners have been. And they are now joining a very, very elite group of teams to manage to make uh, get two teams through to uh, to Orcs this year. So definitely great, great job to Emory. And uh, yeah, this was uh, definitely a tough Orcs. I mean, they all are like <laughs> at this point, they're just, they're all tough, but um, yeah, I don't think anything else too, too crazy. Um, again, you mentioned South Carolina. It's exciting for them to be getting through um, with a pretty tough schedule too. So excited to see how they do um, at nationals, but uh, definitely exciting for them to be making it through. Um. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you corrected me about, because I read it as Georgia tech a, and I had my notes backwards because you're right. It's Georgia tech B. Um, and uh, you know, the, the other thing that, that I caught and, and it shows you how, again, just how brutal this is. So uh, you had a um, four and two Florida state team go into uh, round four against Florida B, they split with Florida State going plus 20, minus two. Florida State um, goes five and three and doesn't get out. If they pick up that ballot, they still don't get out. Like if they if they pick up that ballot, they're the, the third team on the honorable mention list at six and two with a would have, would have been a lower CS than South Carolina and Georgia Tech. Um, I think that might have put them in a possible contention for the last open bid, but they still they would have been a couple spots out um, at this orcs even with six wins even going into that round four four and two so it just goes to show you that uh, you know nothing is really taken for granted when you have such a small number of teams that are advancing to nationals. Well, moving on, we are going to move on to the Midwest to Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton, as we know, had five bids, starting with Rochester A, then Miami A, then Dayton A then Penn State A, and then Miami B. Uh, for the most part, I think Hamilton, uh, also we should, sorry, we should mention uh, Patrick Henry College uh, was on the honorable mention list there, managed to get off and get an open bid, um, and they were the the third and final team to make it off the open bid list, and definitely great, great to see them. They are a phenomenal team, um, and it's exciting to see Patrick Henry back. Um, but for the most part, the rest of these teams, a lot of the strong teams, Miami got two through. They're the defending national champs for a reason. I will say that I'm pretty impressed by this just from the fact that Miami, unlike some of the other schools we've talked about, graduated the entire roster of or the entire six competitors that competed in that final round. So they 
what most people thought was going to be a rebuilding year clearly was not that for Miami. And they are clearly um, the competitive team that they were last year and going to be looking to defend their title at nationals this year. Ben, you see anything else in this uh, works? Not a lot. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you about Patrick Henry. We, we hit them all the time, just given, I'm sure you guys too, given, given the geography. Um, I certainly thought, you know, Rochester, uh, Rochester a got out on a four and a half. I remember when we did our first week of regionals talking about, oh man, you know, Rochester season might be over. Well, Rochester season isn't over. <laughs> they get out on a four and a half open bid. And then what do they do? They just take the first bid out of their orcs. You know, no big deal. Um, just ahead of the Love defending it. national champions. So that was really great. I know that that they're a really great program and, and they do good work. And so that was exciting to see. Um, and then you had a, a, another situation. I mean, we, we mentioned Michigan um, and just going back to how tough these things can be, right? So Michigan is four. Michigan A is four and two going into round four. And what do they get? Miami A, you know, and it's like, that's crazy that Michigan A at four and two after just picking up a 27 and a 22 point win in the previous round, um, then comes in and at four and two gets a five and one Miami A team. They split, you know, by one and by two Miami A sneaks out, um, not sneaks out, but, but gets that bid and Michigan goes home, you know, and if they had grabbed one of those ballots, uh, you know, then I think it would have been different. And I think Michigan, you know, would be moving on. Um, and one of the Miamis wouldn't. And it just how close these things are. And you see some of those round four matchups where usually it's like, if you're at regionals and you're four and two going in the last, you know, the last round, like you're not going to get, uh, you know, the worst team in the, in the, uh, in bracket, but you usually get a round that you think you should at least get a split and, and get out, uh, at orcs with the five bid system, you know, four and two, you, you want to be above that in round four. And even, you know, I think Miami, they're five and one going into round four. And they're like, oh, you know, we're, we're good. We're sitting pretty. No, Michigan A, here you go. You know, like a team, like two spots lower than you on the TPR. So it's, it's rough. It's, it's one of those things where the more data we look at, the more I think this five bid system, uh, I don't know if I have any perfect solutions, but you're just, you, every single orcs, you're seeing teams, great teams. Mm-hmm playing each other in round four. And I just don't think that's how the pairing system is quite designed to work. Yeah, I I really do agree. And I do want to make a brief correction. It was Penn state B, not Penn state a that made it through. Um, And uh, just wanted to note that, but I do want to go back to Michigan, as you were saying, Ben, I mean, the thing about Michigan schedules, it's not just that they, they, you know, drop by such small that they, you know, had that round four pairing, I mean, their drops were on two of their ballots. They had a drop by one, a drop by two. They did have a drop by 13 to Michigan State, which was definitely a surprising round for me. I I will say that, um, you know, University of Michigan versus Michigan State, I think most people would have expected University of Michigan to come out on top there. But um, definitely a great showing from Michigan State to take both of those ballots off. And it kind of comes back to that point that we've discussed at this point where it's like, you get swept in a round, you're probably not making it through. Mm-hmm. And getting around against Miami in round four is definitely not what you're looking for if you've already gotten swept at a tournament, uh, if you're looking to to make it through. So definitely not, not and the mock odds were not on Michigan's side for this tournament, for sure. Yeah, which is tough because they're a great program and they, you know, they're very good and you got to think that they'll bounce back uh, next year. And like, look, they, you know, five and three with a 20 CS and a 61 
positive point differential at orcs like yeah do they get to compete at nationals no but they i mean that's a really really impressive showing to come out with a comfortable winning record with a cs of 20 and you know when you think a plus one minus two is essentially a coin flip round against the defending national champions you know that's just that's a really impressive result so we move to uh the fourth of our five orcs which was memphis uh, we had in order at Memphis, we had Rhodes B, Georgia B, Texas A&M, Rhodes A, and Georgia A. Uh, a few interesting things here. This is one, I think this might be the only orcs, uh, as far as I can remember, where you had two schools getting two teams out, which is like kind of crazy. You think like if you're not Rhodes and you're not Georgia, you got one bid. <laughs> you know, like you, you got, yeah. that's it. That's all you get. Uh, so that's tough. Um, you had uh, Georgia A getting out with less than six with five and a half um, with CS of 18. Still a really strong showing. Uh, and then you had Texas A&M uh, who has not gotten out. I think I don't know if they've ever been to the championship. Uh, and, and I think they were not expected to get out. So I think that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, other than that, nothing too shocking here. Alabama had a good season last year and then they pulled a, a five and three narrowly missed getting out um i think of that ut chattanooga going four and four and not getting out but ut chattanooga a going four and four with a cs of 23 um is just really brutal and if you stop and look at who they played you know round one they pick up um uh georgia and they get a plus six minus one and then round four you know they pick up uh tennessee and I think UT Knoxville and uh, get a plus 18 minus two. And so, you know, just continuing with our theme of how close things can be. Um, and then you also had Baylor B with honorable mention at, at five and a half. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of the, I think you sort of had the power teams and Texas A&M making a little bit of a Cinderella run here. Yeah, for sure. I think that, I mean, the thing about Texas A&M is that uh, we can say like, oh, they only had a CS of 12, Um you can talk about the teams they played. Here's the reality for you. They took a ballot off Rhodes, Rhodes A. And yeah, it was a minus 17 plus two. But at the end of the day, you're picking up ballots when it counts. And we've seen you know, other teams that get swept in rounds that are against teams that are worse than Rhodes A. And the fact is that they came in and they got it done. So my hat is off to them. I'm excited to see what they do at Nationals. Um, and I mean, here's the thing. The other rounds that they had were not close. They were taking ballots by 20 plus. They ended up with a point differential of 73. So I definitely think that Texas A&M was a Cinderella story, but it's a Cinderella story that I'm excited to watch continue because um, they definitely had a, a strong showing based on these numbers that I'm seeing. So I'm excited for them for sure. Uh, on teams that didn't make it out, yeah, I mean, I think that to me, Yuchi Chattanooga, I mean, 23 CS, like that's an almost an average of of six ballots, a team that you play. I mean, that is absurd. Like they had four wins. Like the wins that they're having are like basically those teams only losses. Mm -hmm. Their their first round against, against UGAB, that's UGAB's only loss. The, the ballots they took against, uh, against UT Austin, it's a five and three team that they swept. Uh, you're talking about then playing Rhodes, Rhodes B and getting swept. I mean, they're Rhodes B. Come on. 
And then again, their final round, you said against UT uh, Knoxville, four and four team. But again, I mean, that's a loss of by two for UT Chattanooga. Definitely a, a tough, tough round for them. Um, but definitely, as you said, um, as we've said a couple times, a strong showing for them and one that they should hopefully not be um, too dejected about. Um, UT Austin, I think, is definitely a team that I did want to mention, though, of uh, you know coming in five and three. They were a team that used to very routinely make it to nationals and then it's kind of mm-hmm. not been making it for a little while. And then they, you know, this year it looked like maybe this was the year to make it back. I mean, obviously again, five and three is a strong record. Um, so definitely a uh, pity not to see them make it out. But I mean, as you said, I mean, this was Rhodes and UGA took four of the spots here. I mean, that's, that's really insane. It's really impressive between the two of them. That they managed to do it. I will say that, it's kind of funny that both UGA teams managed to avoid both Rhodes teams or maybe mm-hmm. both Rhodes teams managed to avoid both UGA teams. But uh, the four of them definitely made it through pretty confidently. And that's awesome for those two programs. Um, definitely. They should be very, very proud going into national sending two teams through. Yeah. I think the point about them all avoiding each other is a good one that like you see this and this is again, not taking away anything from anyone. You know, we talk about it in Richmond too, but a lot of it does depend on who you hit. And, you know, if, if Rhodes and Georgia had to play each other and they start splitting ballots, like things might look a little bit different here. But when, you know, like it, it you have uh, Rhodes B, you know, getting through seven and one with a CS of 14 and a half, which is not bad, but it's not a CS of 20. Uh, you know, so it shows you that that by avoiding the other, because obviously they can't play their other Rhodes team. So you're already avoiding one really good team. And then if you avoid two of the other teams that get bids, um, you know, it just it it's one of those things where like you look, for example, Texas A&M played, you know, played Rhodes and they split. And those were, you know, that was Texas A&M's only loss and one of Rhodes only losses. And so in that situation, you have, you know, teams that got bids out playing each other and they, you know, and they split, which is sort of what you would probably expect versus when Rhodes and Georgia avoid each other. They don't have to split with each other and then they can find, you know, a path through that they obviously earned. But. It, you know, sometimes who you play can make a fairly significant difference. Um, as you know, we talked about with UT Chattanooga and the 23 CS, it just, it, there is an element of luck that comes into these things and, and it doesn't diminish those who got to nationals and it doesn't um, provide much consolation to those who, who didn't. But the luck aspect of this is one of those things that was worth further study, I think. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I think that the one last thing that I would mention about this, uh, just UGAA made it through with a five and a half record. And again, we I mentioned before, I'm going to try and mention those teams that made it with less than six. Uh, but what's interesting about UGA's path was that they were 5-0-1, as in that one tie going into their final round. And then they got swept by University of Alabama by one and two on the final round. And then Alabama ended with a five and three impressive record with 18 and a half. What I think is so and it's not actually a problem with the system, but it's just interesting that is if you're Alabama going into that, you know, closing ceremonies and you hear, okay, UGA got the bid, you know, a piece of you wants to be like, hey, but we just swept those guys. Like, what's going on? And I mean, look, obviously UGA had a, a astounding and a very impressive performance going into that round to be 5-0-1, but it is just kind of funny um, that they ended up getting swept in that last round and it still didn't matter. They still made it through. Um, definitely uh, we've kind of talked a lot about, you know, you can't get swept in a round and I think that they should 
not that they don't deserve to be there. UGAA is a phenomenal team, and I think they're going to do phenomenally at nationals. But um, definitely, we've seen a lot of teams that that lose a, a round early on, and they're suddenly out of it. And it is good to see a team where maybe you know a round that's decided by that little, they still are able to get through. Um, but definitely, kind of an interesting result in that round four. Is, as Ben, you've mentioned multiple times, how hectic round four has been this year. So we want to talk about our last orcs, which is the Richmond orcs. And I'm going to let Drew go through the teams in just a few moments. But we first wanted to uh, talk about something that was addressed at closing ceremonies at the Richmond orcs. It was the Richmond orcs was, I think, one of the last award ceremonies. And it was live streamed across the country for the Nationals announcement. But it was also uh, for a tribute to Dr. Frank Galuza, who who passed away unexpectedly earlier this month, um, earlier in the month of March, I should say. Uh, And... uh, Tim Patterson from from Richmond, Richmond's head coach, uh, spoke at closing ceremonies about uh, Dr. Galuza, and I want to go ahead and play that audio now uh, of the tribute that Tim uh, gave to uh, Dr. Galuza at that closing ceremonies. Uh, and, and before we move on to uh, awards and the announcement of this year's Nationals case, I, I do want to take a moment to recognize someone who made an immeasurable contribution to this community. Um, As many of you know, about three weeks ago, Frank Galuza, who was the coach of the Patrick Henry College, unexpectedly passed away. And uh, Frank's contributions to this activity uh, were impressive. He built an elite program at Patrick Henry. He ran countless tab rooms that I'm sure we've all uh, been in. And he served as president of the American Mock Trial Association. But beyond those incredible accomplishments, I think many of us knew and loved Frank first and foremost as one of the most supportive and friendly faces that you would find on the tournament circuit in AMTA. Um, And in all the intensity of this sport, and I I think Frank would call it a sport, um, he was one who never lost sight of the culture of camaraderie that I think we all try to cultivate. Two days before he passed, Frank was in the tab room of the Washington, D.C. regional. Uh, Many of us were there uh, with him, um, and he was giving his all to this activity that's so important to all of us. Um, Given that many of the teams at this competition have competed with Patrick Henry on the East Coast uh, and with the teams from around the country tuning in to watch the Nationals case announcement in a few minutes, we wanted to take uh, a moment to make sure that we recognize a man who will truly be sorely missed, um, and who embodied the spirit of AMTA. So let's just take a moment of silence for Frank. Thank you all. I thought it was a really great thing, uh, taking the moment uh, when a lot of people nationwide were watching, tuning in for the case uh, announcement, uh, for them to stop and pay tribute to Dr. Galuza, and um, we'll also be paying tribute to Dr. Galuza uh, at nationals. And that one of the divisions is the uh, Dr. Frank Galuza uh, division. And, and here's a uh, Jonathan Woodward announcing that division uh, during the division draw earlier uh, this week. Uh, I can now uh, announce the division names of the two divisions. What I've been calling uh, Division One uh, for the division draw. That is going to be the Dr. Frank Galuza division. Uh, We wanted to make sure that uh, Patrick Henry College uh, would have the chance to uh, compete in his namesake division. Uh, That's our dear colleague uh, who passed away uh, earlier this month. 
uh, and we wanted to honor him by naming one of the divisions a championship after Dr. Galuza. And I thought one of the really cool things about that was they waited until after the division draw to decide which division was going to have that name to make sure that that division was the division that Patrick Henry College is in. Uh, and that that was really powerful that, you know, the, losing Dr. Clues. I didn't know uh, Frank extremely well, but we'd had many interactions. Um, and he was just such a huge part of the world of mock trials. A former president of AMTA, um, Patrick Henry does amazing things in mock trial. They do incredible things in moot court. And I know he was really passionate about that. I know he was a man of faith. I know that uh, his students, you know, deeply, deeply cared about him. And it was just a tremendous loss for our community. I remember really clearly when our program was, you know, young and, and just had no idea what we were doing. And Patrick Henry used to host a uh, early January invitational, uh, cleverly named the, uh, so you want to practice one more time before regionals invitational or something like that. Uh, and he was so encouraging when we had no idea what we were doing. And, you know, he, I remember him telling me, you know, after his A team had just, you know, just basically beat the hell out of us for three hours. He's like, you, it's going to get better. You guys have the foundation of something great. Uh, and I don't know if he mentioned or not, or if he was just trying to be nice, but uh, it was a huge loss for our community. And I, I'm really, we're, we're fortunate enough that we're also going to be competing in the in the Dr. Galuzzo division. And it's a tremendous, tremendous honor uh, to be competing in the division that, that bears his name. Yeah. I think that I haven't gotten to interact with uh, Dr. Galuzzo at all, but I definitely in getting to the round I have had against Patrick Henry, I will say that they are one of my favorite teams to play or really a team that I never want to play again, um, <laughs> but they really are a, a phenomenal program and he has done something really special over there with them. I remember just when you go up against Patrick Henry, you feel like you're going up against this wall that is just unmoving in that they just are so nice and so friendly. And it's like, it's, it's refreshing because it's, it's really nice. I mean, I think that a lot of time mock can get contentious. We're arguing. I mean, that's the nature of this activity, but they managed to stay above all of it. And they're just so damn likable in round and i'm like i'm rooting for them like dang like how how am i gonna take a ballot off this team if i want them to win? like it's just it's crazy they're, they're really really great over there and and definitely just to echo what you said ben it it really it always hurts to lose a member of uh the anti community and to lose you know our past president is definitely um something that i'm glad AMTA is recognizing in the way that they are i'm sure that the team's competing in the uh, Dr. Galuza division are going to be thinking of that as they are, you know, at nationals. And it's definitely something that I, I'm hoping Patrick Henry can have a great showing and, and hopefully do well in his memory um, at nationals. Yeah, I, I just, I, it's a small touch, right, to make sure that they're in that division, but, but it's a really neat thing. And um, I think in so many ways, what you were just saying about how Patrick Henry is as a program, what what Frank, what Dr. Galuzzo was as a person is something that we as a community can aspire to be, you know, that like that you're just as excited to take home a spirit of AMTA as you are to take home a bid and that you teach your students. It's something that I try to do and I don't always succeed, but I try to say, hey, winning is great. I really enjoy winning, but winning the right way is better 
than, you know, having to be underhanded or rude or something like that. And, you know, I can't think of a time that we've played Patrick Henry and we've played them many times and it's been anything but cordial and pleasant. And, you know, usually they beat the crowd out of us because they're really, really good and they clearly deserve to be in nationals. And so I just, you know, I I thought Tim spoke very eloquently at the closing ceremonies uh, about Frank and uh, it's a loss. It's a, it's a big loss for our community. Uh, Like you said, losing our past president and um, I think at nationals, we'll all be thinking of him. I certainly, like you mentioned, will be thinking of him, you know, competing in the division that, that's named for him and, and named in his honor. Well, without further ado, we're going to move on to the Richmond Orcs. Uh, again, five bids, starting with Georgetown A, then University of North Carolina A, then University of Maryland at Baltimore County A, then Howard A, and finally, University of Virginia with just five wins. And I look, Virginia is about as notorious as it comes for being just one of the most consistently impressive teams. People are going to be calling me out for the fact that when we were talking about regionals, when we talked about how surprising it was that Yale A didn't get a direct bid out of regionals, I mentioned the fact that, oh, there's, you know, maybe I can imagine it with Yale, but never with UVA. UVA was the example I gave of a team that there's no way they don't make it out. And man, did they put me to the test. Um, I mean, come look, they had a, a CS of 21. They had a very, very high CS. And I, I actually think it's the highest CS of any team that got a direct bid. But five wins, I mean, that is, that's a good deal lower than a lot of teams that are not making it out. I mean, a lot of, we have six and two teams not making out. We have five and a half teams not making it out. So I do have to throw, uh, throw that out there that, you know, UVA should definitely be grateful to be there. But uh, it happened because there was a four-way tie for that, that fifth spot, five, four teams with five wins. Um, and of course the, the ties were, uh, University of Virginia B, and then Georgetown B, as and Johns Hopkins A. Um, so definitely, I'm sure all four of them were sweating it out during closing ceremonies. I cannot imagine what that must have been like. Uh, but as far as the rest of the teams go, obviously we have Ben's own University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I'm sure Ben is very, very pleased. You guys deserved it. I'm excited to see what you guys do come nationals. Uh, but we also have Howard. Uh, you know, Howard was the team that I, th- I think most people were expecting them to make it through. No surprises there. UNC, I'm, I'm really glad to see them through. I think that they're a team where they've kind of been right on the edge of orcs for a while. And and this is actually really true of Georgetown as well. They're both these teams that have been right there really, really close. And I feel like they they finally squeaked through. They managed to put together a team that, that made it through to Nationals. And I'm really excited to see how both of them do. And this was a really, really tough works. Um, we have a, a number of strong, strong programs that are very well known that didn't make it through. And uh, I think that it's definitely exciting to see the teams that did make it through. Uh, and I'm excited to see how they all do at Nationals. Yeah, having been there, uh, I can confirm that this was a a very very tough orcs. Uh, there are a couple results that I wanted to mention. Uh, the first one being uh, the really great folks at George Washington University. Uh, you know, every year in the Northeast, I feel like we have a team that we end up hitting the whole season. You know, 
not this this season, last season was American. A couple of years ago, it was Hopkins. Um, we've had years where we hit College Park all the time. This year, it's been GW. Uh, over the course of the Invitationals and AMTA circuit, uh, we've hit GW six times. Um, and they are a great program. And we hit them. Um, <clears throat> their A-team was three and one. My A-team was three and one. And we hit each other in round three uh, after hitting each other in an outcome determinative round four at Hilltop and an outcome determinative round four at Tobacco Road back in the fall. Um, and, you know, we, we grabbed two really, really narrow ballots. And I can tell you after leaving that round, I, it was just, it was a total coin flip. They are a great team. I'm just going to be really honest in my opinion. They deserve to be in Philly. They're that good. Um, and at tournaments like this, teams knock each other out. Uh, and, and I just, I have so much respect for what they do. Um, they have, a uh, Quentin Weinstein and Sean Buss, who are both seniors and turning and a witness who are just phenomenal competitors who've had such great success there. Uh, and so I guess I just wanted to mention, we've seen so much of them this year and I can't say enough how much respect I have for, you know, Kyle West and, and everything that, that, that program does because they, you know, they compete the right way. Uh, they're a pleasure to, uh, talk to a pleasure to encounter in trial. Um, and it was, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking in some ways that, that, you know, the round had to be the way that it was because, you know, I would have loved to see both of us advance. Uh, so that was one thing, you know, just to go on a tangent there for a moment, uh, you were talking about UVA and one of the interesting things about that result is they were five and three because they dropped a minus one, minus three to William and Mary a, um, William and Mary a had more of that brutal luck that we've been talking about where they come out and they have a, a pretty resounding win against Liberty in round one. And what's their reward? Howard A and Howard B. Um, and Howard grabs those ballots in both rounds. And that was it for William and Mary. But then what do they do at two and four? They sneak into the top bracket and they go take two off of UVAA. Um, and it just goes to show you've got this team, this, this nationals, you know, previous last year nationals team in William and Mary that comes out and has terrible luck in rounds two and three and then still takes two ballots off of a team that's considered to be one of the best in the country uh so you just you had a lot of that this this at richmond you had a lot of teams beaten up on each other and obviously i'm very very happy that we got through we had some great rounds against you know really really tough competition we had a really good round two against washington and lee um so overall uh i agree with you about georgetown and unc we hit both those teams a lot and i think they struggled with just getting beat up at, at orcs like this. And so it's exciting for both of them to get out to. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think that I really wanted to echo what you mentioned about William and Mary. I enjoyed the round that I had against them uh, in nationals last year. Uh, I believe that majority of that team returned this year and they are great people over there. And it, it, it is tough when you face Howard A, Howard B, and UVAA. But to manage to take two off of UVAA really is it is an accomplishment that maybe this didn't end the season didn't end in quite the way they wanted, but it is cool to be able to say, hey, we swept them. Uh, that's definitely something that they should be proud of and, and be excited about. I will say this I think that it's really interesting. And obviously, there are different judges for each round. But the fact that William and Mary got swept by both Howard A and Howard B, but managed to sweep UVA, because I think that Howard and UVA have among the most different styles 
that I, I have at least personally observed. And I think they're very, very different. And it's kind of interesting to see that kind of triangle effect of, okay, you know, William and Mary style worked against UVA. You know, obviously UVA didn't end up playing Howard at this tournament, but, you know, just, you know, grant me this for a moment and say, okay, UVA would, uh, would do well against Howard. And then Howard style beats William and Mary clearly. It's just kind of interesting. I think sometimes the way that that all works out in some ways, um, obviously these are all phenomenal, phenomenal teams. And it, it comes down to, in my opinion, the fact that, you know, at a certain point, Sometimes you have a style that the judge likes, and sometimes you have a style that the judge doesn't like. And it may not be anything that you're necessarily doing wrong. It could just be that that's not really what those judges were looking for. But definitely to the teams that made it out, they absolutely deserve it. Um, another tough, tough Oryx. And uh, I mean, I'm glad, a piece of me is glad that UVA made it out just because, I mean, come on, they, they – they should be at nationals. Like if they didn't make it to nationals, this would be a very different conversation. But uh, I mean, even seeing their B team not make it out is to a certain extent surprising mm -hmm. um, just because they're that good. I mean, that's just what we expect from some of these programs. And it is impressive to the teams that did make it out. And I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. Yeah. And, and like I've mentioned before, you know, there were just a lot of really great, uh, teams at this orcs, people that I really enjoy getting to see and getting to talk to. Uh, you know, our, our friends from Johns Hopkins had a good weekend. Uh, you know, the folks at American had, had, you know, they had a tough weekend at points, but they're, you know, they've got, if you look at the number of award winners they pulled, they've got young talent that's coming up and I'm sure they'll be back in the conversation next year. Uh, it was just, it was an interesting orcs. You had, you know, three West coast teams coming over on open bids, which made things a little interesting. Um, a lot of teams that, you know, I, I, we didn't talk about it too much last week, but we were originally supposed to, um, you know, our bid that we got out of regionals fed to Islip and then Amta moved us down to, to Richmond. Uh, and of course we'd spent the entire month of January scrimmaging half the teams at this orcs because we're like, Oh, we're going to Islip. It's fine. And then of course <laughs> we're like, Oh, whoops. No, we're here. We are. And we've scrimmaged like seven or eight of these teams uh so you never know what's going to work out but there's just a lot of programs that we have a lot of respect for um i mentioned gw we hit washington and lee um i mean and i alluded to this earlier but our round four uh we had harvard b and it was a really it was a plus two minus one for us and and it's like that goes to show the strength of a program like harvard uh that their b team you know came very very close to ending our season uh, and it was just, it was a tough works. I'm really glad that we got out. And I think it speaks to the, the power of this region, just the number of teams and that you had a team get out with five wins, the only team of the 48 that had less than five and a half. And that was UVA, you know, a recent national champion and widely considered one of the best programs in the country. And Ben, just cause I know you'll never do it. I'm going to, I don't know many competitors who in their sophomore year get four awards between regionals and orcs. Sydney Gaskins from your team is legit. I have gone against her. She is phenomenal. I don't want to inflate her ego too much, but man, I mean, she's got four awards through two tournaments, man. That's that's pretty awesome. I'm sure you guys are all really excited. Um, and I'm sure that the rest of your team too really should be excited to be going on to nationals. And I look forward to being just around the corner as you guys get here. I appreciate that. And I'm very, very proud of Sydney. She works extremely hard. She's a wonderful leader. Um, I was very proud of, of Nahir, my only senior on this team, who's headed to Drexel Law on one of those uh, trial ad scholarships in the fall, and he picked up double witness awards. 
Um, and I'm excited. I, I get a chance to put him on an attorney bench at nationals. Uh, and yeah, like, you know, I think we try our best not to, to dwell too much on our own teams and this podcast, but you know, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't say that I'm really, really proud. Um, this is the first time I've ever done, um, a six person competing team at both regions and, and orcs for our top team. Uh, and four of those six were underclassmen and, and, just like many other teams who who are in similar situations, uh, I can tell you to the to the students out there listening, um, there's not a whole lot better whether you get a bit or not. There's not a whole lot better as a coach than just getting to watch your team execute at a really high level and come together as a team at a really high level at a tournament like Orcs. You know, like last year, we you know we narrowly missed out on on a bid, and and that was tough. And I lost two seniors that I really loved, uh, but I got to watch them go out doing really high level, you know, advocacy. And, and that's so rewarding. And so, you know, yeah, getting a bit is amazing, but getting to watch, you know, the team that you put so much, you know, blood, sweat and tears into over the course of a season, uh, compete against such great uh, opponents and, and have a really great tournament is, is a source of tremendous pride. And I assure you other coaches and student leaders around the country uh, feel the same way. And, you know, now we get to go do it in Philly in, in just over a week. <laughs>